хлебну пулем я, ту шепча їдеш у нігу, а руми різав штил, норстуенди грізала тих мідн, а руми різав штил, норстуенди грізала тих мідн, хорман з їх манфрейлах штату, вероте свідки Ит ти за спустом меншу, ой зайнен ти штибер Welcome to Proles of the Minion, Davening After Dark, the very first official uh, Proles Minion dad episode uh, coming at the patrons. Thank you to all our lovely patrons. Um, we love you. Yeah, we love you so much. Thank you. You enable us to buy equipment and book thingies and possibly plane tickets and stuff. And which hire is, me. Yeah. <laughs> Just kidding. I'm not getting paid. <laughs> um, but that that does serve as a good uh, a segue to the biggest piece of news. In addition to having the new patron format, we also have a new standing member of the uh, Minion team. So. Go ahead and uh, introduce yourself. Who do we got on joining our cadre? Hello, I'm Prez. I've been on uh, Pearls of the Roundtable, so if you haven't somehow haven't heard that but are listening to this, uh, go check out that. I did a really depressing episode there. It was really sad. Um, it was really <laughs> sad. It was sadder than I was planning on doing it, but somehow it ended up there. I don't usually teach that way. Um, but I'm a, I'm a professor slash grad student. I pretend that I'm a professor <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> um, most of what I do is trying to use education to help prevent revolution. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> We're all in the same boat with that. Yep. It's true. You you get them a little bit older than I do, Prez. I'm I'm teaching middle schoolers, uh, but every every step of the process. Yeah, and I I'm in a my my university's in um, one of the reddest counties in New York State. Mm. So it is probably the Trumpiest Trump place I've ever been to, including <laughs> where I've been in Texas. Wow. Just because they have to like push back against the dominant New York yeah. vibe, so they go so extra like, hard. I, I see people with like Trump and Blue Lives Matter and like fucking um, IDF flags all on nice. the same car. Oh, that's cool. very cool car. Regularly, because it's of course New York and every. Like half the population yeah. Jewish, <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> um, oh boy! So it's it's very interesting to try to educate the reactionaries too, and sometimes you could get them. Yeah, and that's I mean, yeah, counter uh, counter recruiting is obviously a very important tactical move. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, before we go any further, uh, Prez, are you are you drinking a beverage of any kind today? Um. I'm not drinking one right now, but I will be drinking good old-fashioned water because um, I am a sober boy. Okay. Hell yeah. I am 
drinking water. Oh, God damn it. It's one of these ones. <laughs> oh, so it's an episode. I did too much. I did too much on Friday night. Uh-huh. I'm still dealing with those effects. God damn it. It's one of the episodes where Yaakov seems like he has a problem. Well, you know. Uh, fuck it. I am I am drinking Grippa, which is a grapefruit IPA from my favorite Cisco Brewers from Nantucket. Uh, it's G-R-I-P-A-H, but in true Massachusetts fashion, it's Grippa. It's a fucking Grippa, kid. <laughs> Uh, I'm not usually into the fucking fruit ales, you know, but this one's pretty fucking good. And that is the last I'll do of the accent. I'm not going to torture everybody. (laughs) (laughs) (sighs) All right. So uh, let's let's get into this. This is our first dad uh, that's officially going on the, the patrons feed. We did one last month. Um, that was on the like normal feed and we're kind of feeling out exactly how to do this, but we have some questions from listeners and some, uh, some of everyone's favorite quiz game and, uh, (laughs) possibly some, some evil eye, the, uh, menu. There's a lot of them. Yeah. There's a lot (laughs) of evil eye out there in the past month. Uh, which is the the minion equivalent of uh, the pearls of the roundtable? Dad seeing red. So we're gonna look at some <laughs> some news and views from the uh, the Jewish internet, Jewish journalism, uh, and get really fucking angry about it. But before we get into that, any anything on anyone's mind that we want to just like shoot the shit. Or do you want to dive right in with some questions? Uh, I just want to say, like, I haven't heard anything back from that museum. So. Oh, right. <laughs> I think it's done for. I don't think that letter ever existed. Yeah, no. Or if it did, it didn't say what that curator was implying. Um, <laughs> yeah, fuck all that do shit. Do you think people would just do that to all you make things up? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, counter-revolutionary purposes. What? <laughs> that would never happen. Come it's on. Crazy. <laughs> uh, also, I want to give a shout out to Eli. Uh, so in the Pearls Discord, we did our first ever anti-Zionist, Marxist-Leninist, Jewish minyan, like an actual minyan where we prayed, we did the prayers, and then we talked about the Torah portion. Uh, We did that uh, yesterday. It went really well. So shout out to them for coming in and praying for me. I I really wanted to get up in time, and then uh, that didn't happen. Uh, (laughs) Next week, I'm going to try. We're working on a Anti-Zionist, Marxist-Leninist, Sidur with Kabbalistic tendencies. Fuck yes. (laughs) (laughs) If anyone wants in, I think you have to join the Patreon. Which is also highly recommended. It's it's a great a great space. But I guess most of our most of our patrons are probably also pros of the roundtable patrons. But if you're not, you should be because it's great, Mm -hmm. and that's also where we hang out online. Uh, so so yeah (laughs) all right so i guess let's just dive in with actually the 
one of the questions that we got, it kind of pertains to what you were talking about, Talia, um, mm -hmm. with the uh, the Cedar and the kind of you know ability of weaving together this sort of Marxist-Leninist spirituality thing, which I know like some some folks, including some of our good friends who for now shall remain nameless, uh, think is kind of a, 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 interest, a kind of weird <laughs> a, a kind of you know bizarre uh, tendency or, or line to take um, but we got a question specifically about uh, hang on let me find it exactly so uh, Yovo Koku I think that's how you say that name from the discord asked uh, what we knew about the Jewish renewal movement and also whether uh, Kabbalah or other kind of similar mystical tendencies can be incorporated into Marxist-Leninist practice, uh, praxis rather, um, and just kind of generally talking about like the mystical shit, because obviously the more rationalistic side of Jewish practice would be relatively easy to, to you know, incorporate into an ML lens, but the mystical mm -hmm. shit obviously seems a bit further out there. Um, so, uh, Prez, also, Talia, like, what, what are your thoughts on, on this, on, like, weaving together the mystical and the materialist? I'm all for it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I know... I find it very rewarding just knowing that there's just some things that are unexplainable. Mm. Some things are just unimaginably stupid that can't be explained. <laughs> yeah, so actually, uh, uh, Prez, since this is your first time on the show, I guess do you, because I, I know that we've talked um, off mic about this, because you come from a very kind of different angle on yeah. uh, Jewish life and Jewish identity than either Talia or myself. So do you want to just kind of give your little intro spiel and then maybe, yeah. maybe tackle so, this? So my relationship with Judaism is interesting. Um, <laughs> I was not really raised Jewish in either the secular sense or a religious sense. Um, I found out through tracing my family's lineage that uh, my family was actually subject to forced conversion Ooh. in a uh, pogrom in the 1800s. Oh, my God. Um, and they, you can actually, once I found that out, I noticed a bunch of stuff that they were doing that still had a bunch of, like, Jewish links. mm that they were doing like around Christmas time and around uh, like Sundays and all of that stuff. Um, but w they were still like still marginally Catholic, mm -hmm. but um, they were still just mainly doing it for appearances because my mother was mostly identified as a Jew. Mm -hmm. mm. Um, but because of that kind of forced conversion, we never really met the religious side of Judaism. We kind of just had the identity. Yeah. Right. Um, 
so I there's I know there's a term for that applied to uh, families who were forcibly converted by the Inquisition, B'nai Anosim, um, mm. which uh, it's like children of. I think Anusim literally translates to some form of like apostate, but it's the connotation of like not by their own volition. Um, yeah. And I don't I don't know if there's a separate term or if the same one would apply to an Ashkenazi uh, experience. But that's that sounds like Maybe. what you're talking about. Right. Like B'nai Anusim, yeah. like this, children this, of converts. This was in uh, northern Italy. Oh, OK. Huh. Um, so I'm not sure exactly whereabouts and all of that kind of stuff and which pogrom it was and all of that. Um, but like, I, even the, the weird relationship to Judaism notwithstanding, um, I was never super interested with religion and any of that kind of stuff, Mm -hmm. but I found the argument that you can't have mysticism and Marxism, Leninism kind of honestly pretty Eurocentric. Yeah. And also unnecessary. (laughs) because, (laughs) Because what is the mysticism explaining? It's explaining like the really stupid bullshit that you're encountering in your everyday life. Yeah. <laughs> like, man, it's so weird that I ran into you two days in a row. Or like some other kind of really goofy stuff that doesn't have a material explanation that it's not particularly harmful if there's a mystical aspect to it. Mm-hmm. Whether mm-hmm. or not that's true, it's not really up to me to decide. Right. Um but they're not incompatible with each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because then, this, especially once you get to, like, Chinese Marxism, especially in the 60s and before. Yeah. That was, that was very inclusive of, like, mysticism. Yeah, right. And then Until also there's, the, like, Ali Shariati's Islamic Marxism yeah. in the early days mm-hmm. of the Islamic Revolution before it kind of centered on what would become the kind of, you know, more Islamist state ideology of the Islamic Republic. But in the early days, Islamic Marxism was a huge force um, within the Iranian uh, revolution. Um, So, yeah, like we have definite historical examples of religious Marxist movements, um, you know, not just existing, but like serving a material function um, mm-hmm. especially among like, you know, the, among the peasantry, particularly in both of those examples yeah. with the Chinese, Chinese Marxism and Islamic Marxism in Iran were both ways to mobilize, uh, the peasantry, um, which, you know, it, I think you're right that this kind of hard insistence on like, you know, uh, atheist communism, atheist socialism is, the same sort of it, I, I don't want to equate it too hard, but I think it follows a similar line of reasoning as the sort of, you know, orthodox Marxist line that discounts the revolutionary utility of the peasantry. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. it also just assumes that they're believing in this stuff because they're kind of stupid. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. 
it's it's this assumption of like the backwardness um and you know like oh they're being tricked and that's really not that's such a vulgar uh analysis of what religion is and what function it serves mm-hmm. and it's a very christian normative version of like what is religion right yeah. um yeah and and like because like outside of hegemonic christianity religious affiliation serves several discrete cultural roles and like forces within your life besides theology you know mm-hmm. oh and like even with hegemonic christianity it's not everyone else's fault that the church was used as an oppressor yeah right mm-hmm. <laughs> well, yeah for hundreds of years now it's been used like even if we were just going to take it from the 1500s onward, it's been 500 years of just being used to colonize and mm-hmm. destroy countries. Yep. And yeah. People. Yep. And, and, and really that, you could say that goes at least in terms of like, you know, the, the like Catholic Orthodox church that goes all the way back to the Roman, like the Romanized Christianity. Right. It was yeah. the, I mean, the whole purpose of not the whole purpose, but like one major purpose of adopting Christianity as the religion of the empire was as a way to stabilize the political situation. It, it mm-hmm. was very clearly, you know, wrapped up in uh, in like, you know, secular, like political matters. Um, but every every kind of religious movement that is. Like, so, yeah, I guess that's the thing. Like, every religious movement is reacting and moving through and intertwined with other material conditions. It's not necessarily always, you know, going to be the enemy of a proletarian struggle because of that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Very true. Yeah, and I think, like, building off of that, the thing that draws me to Kabbalah in particular is the fact that like the deeper you get into it, the more dialectical it is like mm-hmm. quite honestly, there, there is no, and a lot of like non Kabbalists like misunderstand what the Kabbalists are doing and say like, Oh, they, they worship, they're not monotheists anymore because they have all these different potentialities within God. That's multiplicity. That. But the whole Kabbalistic drive is to see the, it's it's the unity of opposites it's like the mm-hmm. it's it's like the deeper you go there's always this tension and like creation is held in tension between yeah. these different forces within one unified thing um and so yeah. like it really it translates really easily to a dialectical understanding of things because it yeah, is it a dialectical understanding of divinity um because i forget where I was reading this. I think it was Gershom Sholem that who is like the the you know first person to really study or the first Jewish person to really study Kabbalah as like uh, a subject worthy of scholarly inquiry. Um, and he was talking about how for most people you have uh, if you if you have a monotheistic religion, you have the problem of evil because how could this one divine being that you worship cause suffering right and if you Mm -hmm. have uh but if you have more than one god then you don't have that problem you could just be like oh that that thing over there that god or that demon or whoever is the source of evil um 
but that leaves the problem of like tracing creation back to some kind of source, which is this mm-hmm. kind of consistent uh, theological drive across various cultures. Uh, and he makes a joke that no one's thought of the option of uh, actually the unitary God is evil, which is, I think, pretty fucking metal. But like, yeah. the, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I worship evil. Yeah, <laughs> it's like yeah, no, there is I one creator, Satan, and I worship the devil. I just worship evil. It's like there's there's one creator, and they fucking suck. Uh, <laughs> but but the but the point he was really making was that. Oh, co- I thought that was a jab at the band creator at first. No, fuck that. I love creator of the band. Okay, I, the <laughs> fucking the greatest. Don't make me fly to Boston. No way. <laughs> Uh, that's one of my one of my favorites, to be honest. Um, but but like Kabbalah kind of just does an end run around that whole problem because all of those ways of thinking are this very sort of metaphysical way of thinking where like everything must be traced back to one thing above all others that is doing this thing. And that's it. Right. This very sort of like, uh, you know, first cause kind of thing. Whereas Kabbalah, because it's so built on this tension and this like this dialectical uh, relationship between different sephirot or even within sephirot, there's different things pulling at each other in different ways. It has this really interesting way of resolving a lot of theological issues that I find just like fascinating. Even before I started getting into Jewish practice, I just liked learning about it as kind of like a mythology thing. Um, yeah. But like. I don't know. Mythology is fucking fun. I don't think I think I kind of hate the word mythology because it's always used to sort of delegitimize religious practices of, you know, polytheistic peoples. Um, Mm -hmm. But like the shit's fucking cool. Why not weave it into what we do? Um, And especially given that this this like theological frame we've been given by tradition is already dialectical. It just translates really easily, I think. Mm-hmm. And the, I mean, obviously, there's an ethical component too. Like, Tikkun Olam has been watered down consistently for like <laughs> Tikkun Olam means vote Democrat or some bullshit. But like, uh, vote blue, no matter who. <laughs> yeah, right. But, Olam. <laughs> vote with your feet by going to the polls. Uh, <laughs> oh, God. Um, How can you hurt me from so far away? <laughs> Uh, but but like the real one is actually about you know everybody working together collectively to repair the flaws in the world and it sees no difference between fixing the flaws in our social world and our material world and fixing flaws at you know, some metaphysical level of reality from the Kabbalistic perspective, those are the same. So it's not like other kinds of mysticism in like, for for instance, Christian mysticism, which basically says don't engage with the world. Kabbalah does not allow you to disengage. It actually promotes your engagement uh, with others. Um, And I think I think there's a lot of utility there for revolutionary praxis. Um, Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that's. That's my two cents on I this is obviously like I fucking love this shit. Um, <laughs> I am a I'm a baby when it comes to the Jewish mysticism. Well so you're gonna I'm, you're gonna I'm get a good dose of it at book. Seder. 
I know. I'm really excited. And I'm working on those books you recommended. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I can put some of those up in the, the show notes for folks that are interested in like, you know, the like beginner's guide to understanding all this crazy shit. Um, yeah. Because my head's been swimming in this stuff for like five years. Um, so I sometimes forget that I like I'm just fucking speaking in tongues to most people when I talk about this <laughs> shit. <laughs> it's cool. <laughs> I've been working on it for like the past three months. So. <laughs> um, Still too much a baby. <laughs> <laughs> well, you and our listeners as well, because I, I think I am going to read out the uh the Passover Haggadah that I wrote that's very much a an attempt to fuse together Kabbalah and like revolutionary thinking um, through the Passover Seder. So I'm, I want to do an audio recording of that, maybe just for the patrons, maybe for everybody. I don't yeah. know. Um, but we'll we'll this will be a feature that comes well, back. I keep revolution behind locked doors. <laughs> <laughs> well, we got to give something special to our patrons. Mm-hmm. This is true. Um, but yeah, so this this will come back around to our uh, our friend Yovo Koku who asked the question because um, there's infinitely more shit to say about it. Um, all right, let's see. Oh, didn't even talk about Jewish renewal in that, which was <laughs> another part of that question. Um, uh, I don't know, do any of y'all know anything about them? About, I know nothing about Jewish renewal. Prez, have you ever heard of them or dealt with them? Uh, I vaguely heard of them, but I've never dealt with them. Yeah, I've I only have sort of a cursory understanding that it it is a a movement, but not a denomination. So they like exist within you know other uh, denominational shoals. I think most often reform or reconstructionist, and it's kind of like. What if Chabad wasn't super sexist is basically, <laughs> I, I think, the best way to describe it. Where like there's focus on like dancing and singing and mysticism, but also it's it's deliberately egalitarian. Um, mm-hmm. And like I know I read somewhere that there's there's criticisms of it being this sort of like new agey approach to Judaism that they say is unfair. But then also you read about stuff where like people are doing and I shit you not judaized yoga uh oh my god so yeah (laughs) just like yeah so it's it's got the new age infection going on with the like hippy dippy shit um what is judaized yoga i had no explanation was given uh, <laughs> it, Lots it, of oives. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure they just give like a bunch of half-assed Hebrew names to poses and whatever, and like try to claim that some obscure textual reference to like rhythmic movement in the Torah was actually about yoga or some horseshit. Um, oh God! So yeah, uh, <laughs> but, I'm so tired. <laughs> <laughs> but if if you are into Jewish renewal, dear listener, and you have a positive experience, I know it's like really decentralized, so I'm sure not everybody involved is doing nonsense yoga shit. Um, but but yeah, I don't know. We'll we'll report back with further info if we find any. There is a Jewish yoga network. Oh, for God's sake. <laughs> 
<laughs> and then it says, don't say Jewish yoga, but you named your website Jewish Yoga Network. Oh. <laughs> and yet there are still people out there that say that white Jews are not white. What is more white than making half-assed yoga? <laughs> like, oh, no. God almighty. Yeah, this is pretty good. Woof. We're already doing evil eye and we didn't even mean to. Uh, <laughs> uh, all right. So next question from our, our boy at the central committee, Ethan, uh, incredibly broad. Huh? I was just saying we love him. We do. We do. <laughs> uh, but also fuck you for this broad question. Uh, <laughs> what are your favorite stories or anecdotes from Jewish history? Which, holy God, I, uh, <laughs> um, years to drop on. <laughs> yeah. All right. So I don't, I don't have like a specific example for this, but this is a thing that has happened. And, uh, I like it's this weird outgrowth of the former Jewish gangs in new york and also just like the kosher not not no yeah the kosher nostra right (laughs) (laughs) um so like yeah there there were like jewish mobsters i mean obviously like bugsy siegel's the famous one but like there were yeah meyer lansky right uh murder inc but but out of this grew this thing so okay with with orthodox judaism if you want to get a divorce you have to sign what's called a get the, the, the man mm-hmm. has to sign like a, a release contract. Everything's very litigious, of course. Um, uh, and so in, uh, in Orthodox or Hasidic communities, sometimes, you know, the, the husband will not want to give his wife a get, which again is the document that you need to get a divorce. And so like my favorite outgrowth of this history of New York, Jewish organized crime is that the like, Hasidic court will literally send fucking leg breakers sometimes to <laughs> a resistant husband to get him yeah. to sign the fucking get, which is the fucking coolest thing. <laughs> yes. I mean, it's stupid that I I am pretty anti get. Just like I think it's fucking ridiculous that you know the woman can't divorce just just like at her whim because what the fuck Mm -hmm. but the idea of having you know a couple of orthodox leg breakers show up at some asshole's house because he's not he's trying to be a dick about divorcing his wife who he treats like shit i i like i like that image it's fun uh (laughs) because fuck (laughs) that guy he should get his legs broken (laughs) yeah so that's that's an anecdote uh (laughs) i don't know talia what do you you got for a a jewish history anecdote Fuck. I was going to read that one with the Soviet, when the Soviet army, like, yeah. Shows up. Okay. Uh, this is from the book, The Liberation of the Camps, The End of the Holocaust and Its Aftermath. To the extent that we can access the Red Army's views, it is through memoirs, memoirs and letters. Vasily Gromadsky, an officer of the 60th Army, offered this description. 
I realized that they were prisoners and not workers, so I called out, You are free. Come out. They began rushing towards us in a big crowd. They were weeping, embracing us, and kissing us. I felt a grievance on behalf of mankind that these fascists had made such a mockery of us. It roused me and all the soldiers to go and quickly destroy them and send them to hell. Georgi Ilesvetsky, another of the first Soviet soldiers to enter the camp, admitted in 1980 that my blood runs cold when I mention Auschwitz, even now. He described the liberation in dramatic detail. When I entered the barrack, I saw living skeletons lying on three-tiered bunks. As in fog, I hear my soldiers saying, You are free, comrades. I sense that they do not understand and begin speaking to them in Russian, Polish, German, Ukrainian dialects. Unbuttoning my leather jacket, I show them my medals. Then I use Yiddish. Their reaction is unpredictable. They think that I am provoking them. They begin to hide. And only when I said to them, Do not be afraid. I am a colonel of... of Soviet army and a Jew. We have come to liberate you. Finally, as if the barrier collapsed, they rushed towards us shouting, fell on their knees, kissed the flaps of our overcoats and threw their arms around our legs. And we could not move, stood motionless while unexpected tears ran down our cheeks. God damn. Yeah, dude. Fucking amazing. So you you, you reminded me of one that stuck with me from uh, Revolutionary Yiddish Land. Um, Mm -hmm. so I, I just pulled that up. Another little anecdote. This is, uh, from before, uh, World War II. This is from a, a, uh, where's it from? From Sarajevo. Um, and it's, it's, uh, uh, she was a girl at the time, a woman named Hannah, just like recalling interaction she had with a local, uh, Jewish communist. Mm -hmm. Around that time, one Friday, Hannah was carrying on the way to school a big dish that her mother had entrusted to her, a Shabbat bread prepared in the Sephardic style, which she was supposed to take to the bakers for cooking. She saw her math teacher coming towards her, a Jewish man whom she knew to be a communist, good-looking, well-dressed, whom all the Lycee girls were a bit in love with, and she herself liked a lot. It was raining, and the teacher wore a trench coat and carried an umbrella. As a shy and awkward adolescent, Hannah felt terribly embarrassed and stupid coming down the road with her baking dish towards the young and handsome math teacher. He felt this, she says, and made an unforgettable gesture, taking his umbrella in the other hand and raising his hat to greet her, without the least irony, just to show me that he respected me as a person. A pedagogic gesture, if you like, but only a communist could have done this. At that time, things were simpler than they are today. That kind of simple humanity was more or less synonymous with communism. The young teacher joined the resistance and was killed by the Nazis. His portrait is in the Sarajevo Jewish Museum, and he is remembered there as a hero. Yeah, Fuck yes. that one sticks with me a oh lot. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I try to, as communists, we should always be kind. Yes, absolutely. I think about that a lot. Yeah, I mean, it is. Because we represent, like, not just ourselves, but we represent like this whole ML community. Yeah, we represent the movement. Yeah. I, I think about I was reading that when I was in grad school to be a teacher and mm-hmm. it just like hit me so fucking hard because I tried. That's like my number one thing is to make sure my students know that I respect them as like full yeah. human beings, even if they, you know, even the ones that frustrate the hell out of me, it's it. I 
try my best to never, you know, treat them as anything less than a human being. And it's my biggest frustration when teachers infantilize students. Um, yeah. Cause like I teach middle school, they're not fucking infants, you know, mm-hmm. and even infants, fuck that. Like people treat, I don't know, people treat kids really fucking weird and it gets me all fucked up. But that, that anecdote <laughs> is just like, yeah, that simple sort of human respect is so, so critical. Um, yeah, the only other anecdotes I can think of are all like kind of goofy ancient world shit. So like <laughs> the the Romans uh, called the Jews atheists because they just couldn't get it through their head that you could only have one God. <laughs> they just like <laughs> didn't know what that was like. Like, wait a minute, wait a minute. So like you don't worship the emperor or any of these other things. And so their consistent like slander against us was as atheists, um, <laughs> which I think is really funny. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then whenever they tried to figure out, okay, so like, which one do you worship? And sometimes it was Zeus because they figured like, oh, it's the most important one. But there was a steady like stream of thought within the Greco-Roman world that we all just worship Dionysus because of how important wine is to Jewish rituals. <laughs> so so when they weren't calling us atheists, they just assumed we were like part of the like Dionysian or Bacchic uh, mysteries because those were really <laughs> so good. Yeah, it's so great. But also it kind of, you can see how they thought that because those were both mystery traditions. They were very like yeah. closely guarded and separated religious communities within the Greco-Roman world. And so were Jews and the mm-hmm. wine was important. But the idea of like a bunch of Orthodox Jews now running down the streets <laughs> naked in a Bacchic <laughs> festival is the funniest thing I can possibly think of. So I, I love I love that anecdote. That's good shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ancient and medieval misunderstandings about Jews are pretty fucking funny. Sometimes horrible, but like pretty funny. <laughs> yeah. Um, I have another one. Yeah. Uh, this also takes place here in World War Two, and I know I I convince a lot about how we focus how it. A Jewish circles, we focus a lot on World War Two, but a lot of cool stuff we d- that Jews did. Happened. Yeah, we focus on the wrong parts. I, I'm fine yeah. with like the cool parts. I like the where we combat fascism. Yes, stuff. those parts. I like those. Um, so I really like the story of um, there were a group of Jews that were rounded up outside. Uh, by a bunch of Nazis, and they were about to be shot when one of them starts singing mm. uh, "Mir Valze Eberleben." Yeah, yeah, Mir Valze Eberleben. Hell yeah! Means we will outlive them. I love this fucking story. And they just kept on singing it, and I think they ended up not being shot. No, no, they they got <laughs> shot. If oh, I fuck. no, but but. But if I remember right, it was like a Masada moment, like the, huh? Right, there was one survivor, or someone witnessed it and carried that. I think I think actually the soldiers brought the story back, be like the Nazis, because if I remember right, what and I don't know, listener, correct us. There's probably like ten versions of the story, but the one that the one that I heard is that the the group they had rounded up was a like 
like an acting troupe or like some sort of like, mm-hmm. you know, like performance group. And so they were like known for singing and they asked them to sing, I think, like a, a German folk song. And to the tune of that folk song, they started singing Mirvel and Zayi Berleben. Um, yeah. And the the fucking Nazis couldn't get them to shut up. <laughs> they just like wouldn't stop. But but if I remember right, the story was brought back. Uh, maybe there was one survivor because I don't know how the Nazis would have known the the Yiddish. The words, um, yeah. Because yeah. even though Yiddish I, is a Germanic language, it's pretty distinct from a lot of modern German um, mm-hmm. to the point that like it's not always mutually intelligible. I don't know. Um, yeah. But but yeah, like whatever version happens to be the truth. I fucking love the Mir Valenzay Berleben story. Yeah. It's, it's great. Um, there's also a cool, uh, queer Yiddish folk group called Sibala that does, yeah, yeah, that does a dope rendition of that. That's apparently, that's the outro music this time. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) and they, they sold patches of Mir Valenze Ibrilaben, which I have on my battle jacket. Um, I'm very jealous. It's, I haven't done yet. Uh, they're good. It's good shit. I have I have definitely thought about getting a Mirvell and Zebraleben tattoo um, under my collarbones. Uh, I am going to get that <laughs> that um, across my chest. Hell yeah! And, and, um, I saw it on Twitter. Someone had done that, and then underneath it is Leviathan and Ziz. I yeah, think, yeah, the Nazi tag. I, I saw that's, that. There's a there's a T-shirt for that too from the artist. Okay. I just want that on my body. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no the the artist who did that, which I guess I'll I'll track down and put that in the show notes. But yeah, they have an Etsy with that. It's like a you can have it as a shirt. I think they do tote bags too. Um, but it's a fantastic design. Yeah. Um. Let's yeah. See. I, totally, I yeah. I love it. Oh, just um. I don't know. It's it's Martin Luther King Day and I I teach I I've made it a point to work in um, civil rights lessons, even though I teach about the ancient world. And my justification is like, oh, once you translate something, it's not a primary source. So we're going to look at primary sources from the civil rights movement. But really, it's just an excuse to teach it because it's fucking important. Um, And people always talk about. I, the fucking uh, Heschel or whatever. But so if we're going to talk about, you know, white Jews that took mm-hmm. part in the civil rights movement, not to mention, you know, the black Jews that were involved uh, on the front lines as part of the black community. Yes. But if we're going to talk about white Jews that took part in the civil rights movement, then we should be talking about the fucking freedom riders who got their ass kicked um, and actually fucking sacrificed themselves and like did what it really means to be a white ally and put your fucking body on the line. We should be talking about the, the two, um, the, the two activists who, who got, who got murdered along with a a black goyish comrade, um, Andrew Goodman and Michael Schwerner. Um, (laughs) They were part of the Congress of racial equality and they were participating in the Freedom Summer campaigns, which were super, super fucking important to like bringing the civil rights movement into the national eye. Um, and they, along with uh, their black comrade, uh, James Cheney, were murdered. 
Um, yeah. And it it was they were on a uh, a voter drive, so trying to register black folks in Mississippi, uh, register them to vote, and they were killed um, by some fucking racist reactionary pieces of shit. So like, if we're gonna celebrate, because it's been all over fucking everywhere, people talking about oh. Heschel marching with MLK and like we've talked about that and how people fucking fetishize it uh, mm-hmm. on the show before. But like if we're talking Jewish anecdotes on today of all days, we should be talking about those two guys because yeah. they did the real shit where you do. You don't just march in the fucking march on Washington where it's fucking safe. You know mm-hmm. what what Malcolm X called the farce on Washington because it was so <sighs> defanged from what it was originally mm-hmm. supposed to be. Like people forget that it was, it was supposed jobs. to be. Yeah, it was supposed to be the March on Washington for jobs and freedom. Um, mm-hmm. And like, uh, yeah, Malcolm X was, is famous for talking about like you you had, you know, all these thousands of people marching on Washington and you didn't take over the city. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you just yeah, went, you, yeah, like you just went there and listened to some speeches and went home. The fuck is wrong with you? And like, mm-hmm. that's all Heschel did. He, like, that's his version of praying with your feet. These two kids, Goodman and Schwerner, you know, they, they went and prayed with their feet by trying to materially impact things, you know, trying yeah. to, register people to vote who had been disenfranchised for a hundred fucking years and they paid the price for it. That's, mm-hmm. that's who we should fucking honor. So that's, that's my big civil rights, Jewish anecdote. Shout out to Goodman and Schwerner fucking, we should all learn from them and their bravery. Yeah. Definitely. Uh, <laughs> I'm getting upset. God damn it. <laughs> teaching these lessons is brutal it's like i have five i I have five classes and like whenever we do the fred hampton episode i'm literally crying by the end of the day i just fucking can't i can't i can't fucking do it without just breaking down (laughs) but he's a good it's a good comrade hell yeah much much love always to my man fred Mm -hmm. um all right let's see what else we got here Uh, okay, so this one, actually, we kind of touched on it at the beginning of the episode, but uh, Yovo Koku asks, again, when it comes to educate, agitate, organize, what are some of your favorite examples of Jewish communities living up to this? Um, and as far as the educate part, that's literally what all three of us do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is what that podcast is for. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, because Prez, you're a college professor slash grad student. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then Talia with the library and me, middle school teacher, like obviously education, super important. Um, Yeah. I don't know if I don't know if Tim has actually fully decided on this, but he was talking to me the other day about possibly pursuing uh, going to school to be a teacher as well. So like Proles of the Minion really fucking into the educate portion of the educate, agitate, organize end of things. Um, Like. If you look at any successful revolutionary movement, if it's the Black Panthers, if it's any of the movements in China or Vietnam or mm-hmm. the Middle East or Central and South America or hell, even Europe and with their marginal success, they all had massive educate portions. Yeah, definitely. Like it's it's not just going out, throwing a few petrol bombs and then calling it a day and it's not, <laughs> well, no, we're just not anarchists. Going, 
Yeah. And it's not <laughs> just going out and staging an armed revolt. Right. And you have to be able to get the support of the people. And to do that, you have to be able to convince them that our way is the right way. And to do that, we have to educate them on why the things are fucked <laughs> and why the the way that we want to do them are correct. Yeah, absolutely. You can't educate your way out of things, but you can educate your way into support. Right, mm-hmm. right. Because the majority of the population isn't going to be fighting. Right. But if you don't have the support of the majority of the population – you're not going to be successful. Yeah, of course. I mean, you think about it, just even that phrase, how could you possibly organize people that have not been agitated into action? And how could you Mm -hmm. agitate people into action if they haven't been Mm -hmm. educated in what the problem is and what the solution is? You know, like you, it's framed that way, particularly because there's a process, right? You you can't organize uneducated people that's they if you if they don't know they can't be organized and Mm -hmm. that that needs to come first yeah and uneducated people are always the most reactionary yes yeah yes because reactionary politics always plays to insecurity and kind of fight or flight emotion which requires no education to comprehend and and so like we need to teach people to not react that way um, and to not get suckered into that line of thinking, um, which is something you were, you brought up earlier, Prez, about like trying to reach, you know, the reactionary elements where you are. Um, and there's a certain end of the left, particularly the like very online left that says like, oh, don't bother. But like, I don't know, I... <sighs> There's a certain way of framing it where it's like we shouldn't, of course, we shouldn't be centering the like largely reactionary white working class, but also like we we do want them on our side. We do mm-hmm. want them to realize what will actually bring liberation and also, you know, to be a little bit cynical about it. We do want to limit the fucking forces of reaction here, you know, <laughs> like when when the time comes we're going to need not only more of them on our side but less of them on the reactionary side so education not just among you know the like not just among those people who are most amenable to what we have to say but among the the reactionaries who may need more work to bring mm-hmm. around i it, it i don't think it can be overestimated how important that is yeah, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> You're very concise with your words. <laughs> well, I do have to explain ancient history to 13 year olds. So <laughs> I have a lot of practice, like boiling down what I'm saying to try to make it sound sensible at all. I d- it doesn't always work, but. <laughs> and it doesn't have to center the white working class if you're being inclusive with the education. Right. Yes, absolutely. And you're being sufficient with all the education to not feel like you're because the issue with a lot of education and I'm not saying I agree with the white working class. Yeah, but (laughs) a, a big a big reason why a lot of them feel as if they're not they're losing out. 
Mm -hmm. is because they used to be all the lessons and all of that kind of stuff Mm -hmm. was devoted to them. Yeah. And now it's being devoted more and more to the people who also deserve a spot. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But like if in the education process, it's talking about how like it's not just you, it like other people also exist and we can talk about everyone without reducing the importance of everyone. Yeah. That can reduce the reaction to not having the entire lesson plan being devoted to the white working class. Right. Mm-hmm. And like that, I found that's a good way to like teach and lecture and have not as much pushback. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm I'm actually kind of I'm not as well practiced in that just because where I teach, I out of my 105 students, I think five of them are white. And so I'm mm. I I'm like spoiled, to be honest. I, I get yeah. to talk to kids who are like from the fucking Philippines and are really easy to talk about like American imperialism with. And, you know, (laughs) like it's, it's kind of just, I can lay out breadcrumbs. I could never get away with in a more like a school. Like I grew up going to, you know, like I grew up in frankly, kind of like a, a white trash fishing town. Um, and like, I could never do the kind of shit that I do in my school were I teaching at, my hometown school. Um, yeah. I'd have to play it a bit differently, but I think you're right that like, just because you, you would play it differently in that scenario doesn't mean you center the, the white working classes particular needs, right? You broaden the analysis to include everybody because that's what it's for. I mean, it's collective liberation. That's what it's all fucking Mm -hmm. about. Yep. All right. So getting back to questions, this is one that, uh, we can give like the short answer, but at some point we should do a deep dive on uh, comrade Chabad wants to know our take on communist parties within uh, the so-called state of Israel. Um, which, PFLP, dude. Yeah. The only real one is PFLP or DFLP, the Marxist Leninist and MLM Palestinian liberation parties. Uh, but as far as ones like historically within the state of Israel, they're all fucking revisionist. They're all like pretty fucking garbage. Um, I mean, they're just the Israeli equivalent of CPUSA at best, you know? So like it, it, it ain't great. Um, the history of it from what little I've spent researching it is like a kind of fascinating set of twists and turns with like, our, our boy Joey Steele being like, oh, Israel's trying to be socialist. Cool. I support you. Hang on a fucking second. Yeah, you're actually fucking reaction. Yeah, you're actually fucking reactionary nationalists. <laughs> Fuck you. Uh, and so like the twists and turns of how the bef- pre 48 united Palestinian and uh, Jewish like, you know, Jewish settler and Palestinian uh, communist party like relating to the common turn and then after 48, how like weird splits developed. It's like an interesting and bananas history of like infighting and splits and craziness that would make a good episode. But the short mm-hmm. version is everybody except the PFLP and DFLP are fucking revisionists. So right. <laughs> fuck everybody else. Next question. Next. <laughs> <laughs> 
da, 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 da. <laughs> All right. So uh, our our friend Cal Baynor asks if they should bother engaging with a Jewish anarchist comrade who, despite calling themselves an anarchist, is still spouting some like liberal settler takes on Zionism. Um, and, and this is like, this is him asking like, okay, as a Goyesha ally, is it my place to like educate on like to myth bust and to challenge them on what they're saying? And, uh, yes. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Um, it, the, uh, like, you can't leave the you you can't leave the work of anti-Zionism to just Jews and Palestinians, right? It, that's it, it. It needs to be taken up by others if it's going to be successful. Um, so to to all our Goyesha Haverim out there, our our Gentile comrades, uh, yes, dunk on shitty liberal Zionists and. Fucking tell them they're full of shit. Tell them to mm-hmm. read Edward Said. Tell them to read Leila Khaled. You know, yeah. tell them to to read the works of fucking Sephardi Jews. Um, like, uh, oh, fuck. I need to pull up her name. Shohat. I can't remember her first name. Ella Shohat. Ella. Yeah. Yeah. Ella Shohat. Uh, Zionism from the standpoint of its Jewish victims, which is a, a play. Damn. on Yeah. She has a great other book called Unthinking Eurocentrism. Ooh. Ooh. Hell yeah. I haven't read that one. Um, that sounds good. So good. I got a, uh, a definitely legal PDF <laughs> of it. <laughs> um, if you guys want or if you want to throw it up for our patrons. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll definitely include these in the reading notes. But yeah, Elo Shohat um, and Edward Said, like... Fucking shove that in everybody's faces. I want that shit yeah. to be the new Reed Settlers, you know? Like, yeah. Fucking or, uh, even just show them JVP's website. Yes, right. You know, simple shit. The right place eventually. <laughs> simple shit. But yes, yeah. like, don't don't feel like you need to stay silent because you're not Jewish. Like, anti-Zionism is an anti-imperial struggle. And so all mm-hmm. anti-imperialists should take it up. Um mm-hmm. I, I think like there, you know, there have sure been isolated instances of people's anti-Zionism going into anti-Semitism and all that. But like, honestly, fuck whatever air on the side of supporting fucking Palestinian liberation, mm-hmm. you know, like that's that's the fucking goal here. Um, so, yeah, Kel, don't silence yourself. Fucking dunk on that nerd. Hell Yeah. Yeah, and like, Said is not Marxist, so his analysis is going to be limited. So I'll just put that warning out mm. there. But he's a great start. Yeah, right. Um, Literally coined Orientalism as a term. Yeah. <laughs> so and like Zionism, and Zionism is a political and economic structure Mm -hmm. it's not it's not being against people for their religion it's not being against people for who they are it's being against 
an oppressive regime. So if you are trying to like lay off of the anti-Zionism or lay off of Israel because you're afraid of being anti-Semitic or you don't want you like don't want to take up the space of of Jews, like there are people in Israel who aren't Jewish. Yes. Mm-hmm. A lot there of are them. so many people who in is who are in Israel who aren't Jewish, and even the ones who are Jewish don't necessarily agree with what it's doing. Right. Mm-hmm. So, and also, this is the the entire boycott movement is not against this. It's against the state, but it's it's against the structure. It's not against the people. Right. Mm-hmm. Yes. So. You're arguing against what the state of Israel is doing because what it's doing is morally wrong. Correct. Yeah. So you don't have to be worried about becoming anti-Semitic. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. So just get into it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Lay it. Absolutely. Goddamn right. Um, all right. So the last the last question we have is another sort of like <laughs> theology related question. Uh, this is from Alexis from Adwinka Ramundi. Should Gnostic Christians read the canonical Jewish texts that aren't the Tanakh Torah books included in the Nicene Canon, i.e. Talmud, Alphabet of Ben Sirah, etc.? Uh, I know the idea of religious canon existing outside the Bible is going to confuse the Nicene orthos, but this podcast isn't for them, which is true. Fuck Nicaea and Orthodox Christianity's like attempt to standardize things to serve imperial purposes. Um, but I think probably it's best to table this for when I collaborate with Alexis on a winker Mundi, because this is getting to this like really specific ancient theology nonsense. Um, so I, I don't know, unless y'all have thoughts about this yeah all right so let's table <laughs> we had a question on our in our twitter let me oh it was on our patreon whoa oh shit yeah we have interactions on. on patreon now that's a thing i'm not used to checking yeah uh... <laughs> <laughs> oh my god we're like Hold a real that. podcast oh lauren's about transmigration of souls Oh, you got okay. You can ask it. Uh, yeah. So I got it. Um, well, again, this is another theological one. Uh, so Lauren from our Patreon asked, "What's the minions' take on the transmigration of souls?" Is that like reincarnation? Yeah. So I don't. I don't know if y'all have any thoughts on this. I definitely have thoughts. I I do. Go for it. <laughs> Let me hear. What do you got, Talia? Um. So this ties into what we were talking about with the episode with Alex um, about my belief of God being everywhere and like God is in us. Um, so I think of souls as energy and you can't destroy energy. And so I believe when you die, your energy goes elsewhere and I feel like that's your soul. So your soul definitely goes elsewhere. It's not really you. It's just this energy that's part of God. Um, And there's a Jewish belief that my rabbi told me when I was converting that um, with converts, they're born with a Jewish soul. 
it just takes time for your your brain and your body to catch up with your soul. Definitely. Um, and I've always have felt this way about the concept of souls and of God. And even before I converted that, this is how I've always felt, but uh, that's yeah. just what I think. I think about it a lot. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I'd like to hear your thoughts too. Prez, you, you want to chime in or I, I know you've never even heard of this before. Transmigration. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's so that's like the, the, you know, attempt to make it sound sciencey when you talk about reincarnation. <laughs> basically um, um the transmigration of souls the the movement of soul from body to body yeah no i've only heard of it in terms of like buddhism and taoism mm -hmm. um but not like this i didn't know souls could move between bodies so mm -hmm. uh in lurianic kabbalah which is based on the work of this guy isaac luria um from the 16th century um, who is like, this is the kind of Kabbalah that most folks work off of these days is based on the work of Yitzhak Luria. Um, and there's a concept pretty central to one of, one of his texts is all about it. It's, uh, Sha'ar HaGilgulim, the gate of cycles, the gate of reincarnation. So Gilgul is the Kabbalistic concept of reincarnation. Um, and mm -hmm. this is, I, I'm sure this is what, uh, Talia, your, your rabbi was referring to the concept of like, people that like people have Jewish souls, you know, like through this process of, of Gilgul, uh, Gilgul HaNeshamot, the, the cycle of souls or wheel of souls. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's, it's very much a, uh, it's, it's a Kabbalistic concept of reincarnation that basically, um, it, it's all, it's, I, I don't have my notes in front of me to like explain it concisely but basically it's all bound up in the excuse me the original process of tikkun olam not the like watered down version um but like the the process of rectifying like mystical uh errors in creation through the ethical work of people um but there's an idea in luriana kabbalah that souls are derived from a certain root soul and i if I remember right, I think there's 70 root souls, but I forget however many they're supposed to be. Uh, but the idea is that like everybody is tied back to a certain root soul that is encompassed within the, the, you know, the divine, um, the, the original emanation of creation, what the Kabbalists call Adam Kadmon, the like primordial human, which is a like anthropomorphized version of creation. Um, and so everybody is interconnected and the idea of Gilgul is that like your soul root kind of uh, is always creating other like permutations of itself. And so you're connected back to everybody with that same soul root, which is one explanation for the kind of idea of, you know, uh, of converts having Jewish souls is that, oh, you, you know, in a in a past life, like you were part of this soul that's connected to this soul root. Um, and I find it super fucking fascinating. I really want to research more about it. Um, yeah. there's like relatively limited amount of stuff written about it in English. Like I would love to read the original, like Yisak Luria's work is mostly gone untranslated, sadly. Um, so I, I would need to learn 
Hebrew to actually read it. Um, and like some sort of uh, like weird early modern textual Hebrew, not like fucking Israeli Zionist state sanctioned Hebrew, like text mm-hmm. analysis mm-hmm. Hebrew. Um, but someday, someday I'm going to fucking figure all this shit out. God damn it. Uh, <laughs> there's like one volume of Yitzhak Luria's original work that's been translated and it's like pretty damn expensive. And it, because it's like it, most people who bother with this stuff are, you know, yeshiva students who can read Hebrew and Aramaic, you know, backwards and forwards. Um, and so like a lot of this hasn't really made it into the Anglo sphere, sadly. Um, but that's, that's like the sort of official, uh, Kabbalistic line on it, which like Talia, you had it right just from your gut, which is fucking awesome. Uh, <laughs> cause it's, it's a fucking thing. Gilgul is fucking, ah, oh, it's so cool. I love it. Um, yeah. There's obviously I want to like read more about it. Yeah, it's it's cool. There's definitely a chapter in the Gershom Shalem book that I I recommended to you about it. Um, okay. As part of the the like one of the concepts within Kabbalah, which I'll put this in the notes, but for the listener, it's really easy to remember because it's Gershom Shalem's Kabbalah. Really, <laughs> really inventive title. Uh, <laughs> all right, so. That's questions. I don't have anything prepped for Evil Eye, but just looking through something that the Yiddish Arbeiter, a Yiddish worker, uh, a Jewish worker rather, mm-hmm. on Twitter posted from this like ridiculous fucking, you know, reactionary gun rally. Uh, the one with the tactical tzitzis. Yeah, the fucking tactical tzitzis. No! Okay, so yeah, this is this is a seeing red moment that wh- whose time has come. Um, because, okay, so I, I, I cheat on my tzitzit too. I, I don't have all of mine tied on to my t-shirts the proper way. I have it like looped mm-hmm. through so I can take it off and wash it in the washing machine. And that's not kosher officially, but also I have like 10 tattoos and I fucking love shrimp. My dad's a goddamn lobsterman. So like, yes. you know, kosher style has always been more my thing than like actual fucking kashrut, right? But mm-hmm. this fucker here has clip-on tzitzis that are going into his fucking belt loops. They're not even attached yeah. to a shirt, for fuck's sake. Yeah. And <laughs> this is this is a thing that exists on, like, weird fucking American proddy websites that try to do this, like, you know, the this, like, weird Judaizing, like, philo-Semitic nonsense that some yeah. U.S. fucking evangelicals do where... They'll, you know, never mind the fact that they're following Talmudic interpretations that, you know, they also like in the same breath, they'll call the Talmud the work of the synagogue of Satan. And then they'll fucking like steal all this shit that has become. Oh, my God. It's so fucking infuriating. Um but one of th- one thing that's really popular is like these these bullshit tzitzis where it's like, oh, like Jesus wore fringes. So we should, too, on this belt buckle. And it's like, what the fuck are you doing? That's not how it works. Like, this guy is a chauffeur as well. Which yeah, is, is really is a, upsetting. Yeah, it's just like the the fucking level of bullshit 
evangelical appropriation. It's fucking oh, it drives me nuts. But like, OK, yeah. brief, brief rundown on Tsitsis and why attaching them to your belt is fucking dumb as hell. So way back in the day, the Jewish I national costume time in New York no. on, on belts. Ah. There's when I was style up, in all the Orthodox communities here. Oh no, they they just they have them attached to their undershirt and they tuck them yeah. in because that's what I do. Yeah. So I I have it, them it on depends. my hands. Sometimes I don't see them attached to their undershirt. Well, if they're tucked in, that that might be why. Because um, oh, like the 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 modern Orthodox trend for you know if you don't want to have like it free flowing is to have a, a, an undershirt that mm. is kind of like. Uh, has like buttons running up the side, so it's still open until you button it shut at the sides. I thought they've been attached to their belt this whole time. No, they're it's oh. like if, if you want to wear like a business suit or whatever, or like just tuck in your fucking shirt. Mm. Um, yeah, you you tuck it in and then loop it through on the outside, which is what I do when I like get dressed for work. Um, but but uh, but like way back in the day, you know. Like the the Judean national costume, because everybody had one, was this sort of like poncho with strings attached. And there's like archaeological evidence of Assyrians capturing Israelites and Judeans and whatnot that verifies this. So like this was how way, 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 way back uh, the national costume looked. It was a poncho and that developed over time into uh, what most Jews wear just to synagogue if they go called the the talit or the talis uh and in modern times jews will sometimes have a like t-shirt variant like i just described these fuckers are are taking talit like the the tzitzis the the strings tzitzit in some dialects um of the the strings that are attached to the talis and they're attaching them. I've seen them. Yeah, this guy has it on a fucking like carabiner clip looking thing. Oh my um, God. I've, I've seen ones. The, the worst, the worst one I've ever seen was on a loop of leather with two no. like buttons that you literally loop over your belt like you would no. for like a for like a, a like a, a knife sheath or some Ugh. shit. It it's so fucking goofy looking and it completely misses the point of like how it was supposed to interact with the garment you wore originally. It it's fucking wild, yo. <laughs> it's so ridiculous. <laughs> I'm so tired. <laughs> All right. So, yeah. I was yeah. up seat to get for myself. And, like, I looked up, like, women seat seat. And, like, all of these, like... Weird Christian. Yeah, no, they're all fundy websites. I swear yeah, to fucking God. Have, the, the, have those, the loopy yep, ones. The weird loopy ones, yeah. And they're like, you can color coordinate with all of your options. <laughs> like, they're this. supposed to be white, damn it. <laughs> well, they can be black as well. Yes, they can, all black. But the, the ones I'm that are like, those. yeah, metal, metal tzitzit. Um, yeah. And like, again, I play kind of fast and loose because I got tired of my seat falling apart in the washing machine. So like I don't have them physically tied on to every shirt. I pre tie them and I loop them through a hole in my, you know, modified T-shirts. But on your fucking belt. God damn it. That's a fucking bridge too far. <laughs> belt loop. Ridiculous. <laughs> All right. So that yeah, but yeah, that's that's the only evil eye I have on hand at the moment. Um, there's just been so much shit. There's that's been so been much happening. shit. Yeah, it's 
ridiculous. I try not to look, so I, I haven't found that much. Um, instead, what I do is look through the diaries of Theodore Herzl and uh, Mein Kampf. So, you know, that's that's what I do to get my blood pressure up. Fuck the news. Uh, <laughs> which means, of course, that it's time for everyone's favorite quiz game, Hitler or Herzl. Um, we are we are we're pretty close to coming up on like wearing out this game at which point we will move on to like the the expanded universe version which is just protocols of zion or actual zionists uh <laughs> <laughs> or like other sort of like yeah is is this I'm getting, a i'm getting that book and i'm getting henry ford's uh book that he had in every single ford dealership damn oh my god yeah so it's gonna be like is this a goyasha white nationalist or a zionist white nationalist <laughs> you decide uh <laughs> but for now Whoa. we're keeping it classic for now we're keeping it classic hitler or herzl um all right so <clears throat> round one who described yiddish aka or so he's yiddish or quote judeo-german which had sense and justification only as the stealthy tongue of prisoners end quote that's herzl what do you think prez uh this is hard who described yiddish i'm as gonna go a, hitler Okay, so we got one Herzl, one Hitler. Talia, you got it. It is Herzl. Yeah. Well, describing. <laughs> Nobody wins in this game. <laughs> yeah, no. Nobody wins. Everyone's Nobody. worse. Everything's worse afterwards. Um, but yeah, so this is from uh, Herzl's diary, uh, talking about the language of the proposed Judenstadt. And uh, Zionists, I'm sorry to inform you, Herzl thought that Jews should speak German. Whoa. Yeah. You know that? Yeah. He wasn't even a Hebraist. Like, he wasn't even down with resurrecting Hebrew. He wanted us to speak a cultured language like German. Uh, so that, it, is this your king, you fucks? Um <laughs> Fucking calls Yiddish the stealthy tongue of prisoners and says we should speak a real language like fucking German instead. Fuck you. Uh, Did you see that New York Times picture where they decided who they were going to endorse for the president? And they they have like a signed photo of Theodore yeah, Herzl. Oh, God. Paper of record. I am. I am shocked. Still, still the most insulting thing that's ever happened to me. Somebody said my uh, my beard reminded them of Herzl's. I, I'm, Is that person still alive? Yeah, they're my parents' rabbi. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm still I not. It was like a year ago. I'm still not over it. <laughs> it's upsetting. Um, okay, let's see. Round two. Uh, who described Jews as... Cold-blooded, thick-skinned, and shameless. Her Hitler? <laughs> Hitler. It was actually Hitler, yes. Uh, this, this is from Mein Kampf. <laughs> yep. It's, you know, it's not too dissimilar from a lot of uh, Teddy Herzl's shit. Uh, but, yeah. All right, let's see. Do, 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 do. 
Let's do one more round here. Uh, oh, this is a fun one. <laughs> the wealthy Jews rule the world. In their hands lies the fate of governments and nations. They start wars between countries, and when they wish, governments make peace. When the wealthy Jews sing, the nations and their leaders dance along, and meanwhile, the Jews get richer. Who said oh, this fucking thing? God, I don't want it to be Herzl, but in my soul, I know it's Herzl. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure that's Herzl. Wow, we're doing well today. Yeah, that is Herzl. Oh my God. That is Herzl. And that isn't from his diaries. That's from an article in the Deutsche Zeitung. That's from like a published work of his that oh, he wanted the world Jesus. to see. <laughs> from one of his newspaper articles. The fuck? Yep. Yep, wow. yep, yep, yep. This is the worst game show ever. <laughs> uh, yep, I gotta, I gotta torture everyone with it. Um, bonus rounds, because this one is too obvious to, to you know, like, leave it up for question. But another... Yeah, I hope it's obvious. Yeah, no, so this this is another, another Herzl um, from his diaries. And it's, it's just one of the things that, like, you know, Kel, before we were talking about like, yes, you know, our, our Goyesha Haverim should be fighting the good fight against Zionism. And here's why, because oh, that's my dog. Hey, hey, Zelda, stop it. Hey, knock it off. Hey. All right. So back to getting fucking upset about this. Uh, it says, quote, it would be an excellent idea to call in respectable, accredited anti-Semites as liquidators of property. This is Jewish property in Germany, mind you. Whoa. This is part of the plan for uh, colonization of Palestine. Um, so he says, yeah, it would be an excellent idea to call in respectable, accredited anti-Semites as liquidators of property. The anti-Semites will become our most dependable friends the anti-Semitic countries, our allies. And then later it says, uh, anti-Semitism, which is a strong and unconscious force among the masses, will not harm the Jews. I consider it... <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep, yep. What a douchebag. I know, right? <laughs> I consider it to be a movement useful to the Jewish character, end oh my quote. fucking God. So, yeah. Blast I think, that fucker into the sun. <laughs> yep. Fuck this dude. Oh Fuck, my yeah. God. Fuck him. Uh, yeah, it's he's a monster. Uh, yeah. And then like in another passage that again, this is so this is the the official exhaustion of Hitler or Herzl, because a lot of the other ones are like not quite vague enough to be quiz worthy, but they're still just nauseating and disgusting. Um, let's see. If there should be attempts to impede the free passage of the Jews, again, to Palestine, we shall know how to mobilize the public opinion of the world, in brackets, liberals, socialists, and anti-Semites, against the imprisonment of the Jews. Then, to our diplomats will be at work, we shall make financial concessions in the form of loans and special gifts. Once we are outside of Europe, we shall put our trust in our army, our purchased friendships, and a Europe weakened and divided by militarism and socialism. Fuck this you know dude. What? 
It's the best friendship. Those that you can buy. <laughs> yeah, right? Jesus Fuck fucking this Christ. dude. So, yeah, that's that's Herzl. Uh, <laughs> fuck him forever. And, yeah, that's, you know, that's, that's, yeah. So that's Hitler Herzl. Uh, great, great job, everybody. We actually played well today. Um, people, people oh, won. Yeah. You've, you've gotten, <laughs> you've gotten attuned enough at deciphering when anti-Semitism is actually Zionist anti-Semitism that you got correct scores most of the time. So, uh, congrats, I guess. Yay. <laughs> Yay. I feel like such a winner. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Now, Yikes. now I bet you wish you were drinking with me because it would feel better. So yeah. fuck you. Yeah, <laughs> sorry. Blame the snowstorm on Friday. <laughs> I went immediately to the bar after work, <laughs> where I did some agitation. Hell yeah! Hell yeah! All right. Oh. So uh, that's Hitler Herzl, and I think. That's about it. Anything else we want to dad out here? I just want to say fuck France. Oh, yes. We were going to talk shit on France. We have to do that. I just came back from there and it's a horrible, horrible country. It really is. (laughs) It's a bad place. Awful. Where where were you besides Paris? Did you just dig in Paris? I was just in Paris. Oh, the worst of the worst. Digging the strikes. The The strikes were cool, but the city was horrible. Yeah, no, I mean, you got to say that for the French. The motherfuckers know how to strike. Yeah. Like, they're really good at it. (laughs) Yeah, they were really good at striking. But, like, the thing was, I was so, I came in so far into the strikes happening that the city was kind of used to the strikes. Yeah. So like everyone knew exactly what to take to account for the trains not working. And even some of the trains were starting to work again because people were out of like, people were not working for so long that their strike fund was starting to not work anymore. And the uh, uh, Macron was even made a New Year speech saying, "Like I'm not going to do shit." <laughs> what an asshole! Fuck you guys. Yeah, well, he um, he knows, like you said, that French society is so adapted to it that they'll just kind of keep on a trucking, almost as yeah. if trade unionism it can't be an endpoint in and of itself. Mm. Huh? Crazy how that works. Mm. <laughs> um, but like. It, it's a horrible fucking city. Yeah, no, Paris, <laughs> Paris is awful. Um, I, I lived in I France never, for a year, and really? I, I have to say, not not a great time. <laughs> I never thought I would meet a city that was just as bad, if not worse, than New York. <laughs> <laughs> outside of america (laughs) Uh, sorry this is making my bostonian heart sing just talking trash on both new york and paris (laughs) um because like it's it was just a garbage the streets were just horrid oh yeah it's filthy 
the streets were just filthy and all the buildings were kept. I found more shit on the street than I did in New York. <laughs> it sounds like you're describing St. Louis right now. <laughs> Yeah, but this is Paris. Like you would expect, <laughs> you'd expect more. St. Louis is barely a city. Paris is like a major metropole. <laughs> so, so I lived in the south of France, uh, in Montpellier, which is awesome. the it's it's a French barely a city. I mean, it's it's really tiny, um, and it was also like filthy and, and disgusting. I actually. The, the, I, I, I have to say French healthcare. Fantastic. When, yeah. when my, when my suit, when the sewage started backing up into our drinking water and, uh, I got incredibly sick, I went Ugh. to the, which yeah, disgusting gross town. Of course it fucking did. Yeah, of course it did. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I, I went to the hospital and they ran a bunch of tests and blood work and EKG and the whole thing. And I was dreading, you know, checking out and, I was standing there waiting and they're like, Oh no, monsieur, we called you a cab. And I was like, well, sorry, what? <laughs> I don't have to pay any money for this. It, that was nice. Yeah. Um, it sounds nice. Yeah. As, as I have heard from more than one French person, the worst thing about France is the French. Uh, <laughs> like everybody there is fucking well aware of it. Like the social systems they have are like pretty good. I mean, it, you know, helps that it's based off of, you know, fucking global French colonialism. Um, so they, they've mm. reaped the benefits of fucking pillaging the third world for a long ass time. Uh, but the French people, it, it, there's an attitude to what it means to be French that is fucking obnoxious. Yeah, it's horrible. I was, I met a couple people who were immigrants and they were more, um, acclimated. Mm-hmm. That like one of them married to a French person. The other one was like a student who was in the UK and then um, met someone else who is living, was living in France. So now they're like going back and forth. And both of them were like commenting that like you can call the cops on like someone for being racist and how there's all these protections um, that just like, don't exist in a lot of other places. Sure. Um, but then like, didn't really understand me when I was saying that the second largest politician in the country is Marie Le Pen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fascist. Yeah. Quite literally. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, it's, it's, it's a rough, it's a rough place. Um, the one place I liked when I lived there was Marseille. Um, Marseille mm. is a fucking cool town. And if you ask French people from outside Marseille, they often turn up their noses at Marseille for being like unFrench, uh, which is partially because like it's, you know, not as racist as other towns. <laughs> um, like Marseille is a very sort of like it, it's every just everybody's all the, when I was there anyway, like it seemed, you know, from my obviously limited exposure, but talking to some Marseillais folks too, they were like, the spirit of the revolution is still alive in Marseille. There's a reason they call it the Marseillais and like, we're proud of that. And you know, there's like everybody from every fucking 
background was just kind of like hanging out. It seemed very integrated ethnically, like people, you know, from uh, like French Caribbean folks to, you know, uh, North African folks, like immigrant communities from all over, uh, as well as like the white French folks in like the working class neighborhoods anyway, were just like fucking hanging out and seemed to be like just just having fun and just doing whatever. Mm -hmm. It was like, you know, a nice summer weekend that I was I went there for, you know, a few different weekends. I would take the train um, from Montpellier and it was a fucking cool town. But it was the least French town in France and everybody fucking knows it. And that was the only place I liked. (laughs) (laughs) So I think that that Um, says something. But also like to get a job in France and like a lot of the government and all of the government offices, you have to like speak fluent French. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. And no, learn French history Mm -hmm. and essentially like be schooled on how to be white French. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Before I lived there, I thought jingoism was an American thing and it, Mm -hmm. it is not unique to the U S like the, the French Mm -hmm. obsession with their like white colonial rendition of themselves of like what it means to be French is fucking bananas. It's just as extreme as America as like U S American jingoism. And it's like absurd too because France is a shitty. It's a nothing place. Like it's a horrible. It's a horrible country. Like <laughs> all of their buildings look like they were never touched since they were built six hundred years ago. Oh yeah, even the new ones are built modeled after like uh, Louis the Fifteenth or whatever. Yeah. And, like, I saw that they had, like, street sweepers for the sidewalk, which was kind of cool. But, like, the streets still look disgusting two Mm -hmm. seconds after I saw them clean it. The biggest thing for me is I remember people talk about, like, oh, French cuisine, French wine, French this, French that. Most actual French people eat and drink Italian shit. Yeah. Like, no no fucking joke. (laughs) Like, they, a lot of them will drink Italian wines and, you know, French cheese is not to be fucked with. I have to say that. Like, French cheese is fucking Yum. dope. It is so oh, good. Gosh. Like, the, the one euro bodega cheese is better than most shit you'll get in the States. Um, yeah. Like, I, I lived off of, like, one euro baguettes and brie because it was just so fucking good. But mm. most, like, quote unquote French cuisine is actually just northern Italian cuisine. So I, I tried to to do that thing that like tourists do when you like go to a new place and you're like, let me eat at places <laughs> that you can't get back home. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I was like, you can't really get French food back home. And it's like, what the f there's no French places. Nope. And the ones that are, are super fucking expensive. So I'm just not gonna do that shit. It's all pizza. And <laughs> Pizza, pizza kebabs. Food. Yeah. Fucking great kebabs. Mm. Yeah. I miss the kebabs, yeah. I gotta say. I had the best fucking kebab in London, but that's not the point of the story. <laughs> I had, um, I ended up having like really good Ethiopian food. Mm. Yum. And like they had some really good Vietnamese food that I didn't get a chance to try, but like. Mm. All, all of the, like, colonized peoples had restaurants that was really fucking good. Yeah, because the white French have nothing to contribute. Nothing. Yeah. Literally nothing. 
the only uh, thing they have to contribute is to say how they they can't work in government offices. <laughs> uh, meanwhile, they have they have like benefits that most people would fucking kill for. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, that's uh, you know I, I guess sorry to any French comrades. Not really. I'm gonna be <laughs> honest. Like I I like French oi music and I. Uh, actually, that's it. Um, French punk is cool. That's that's the only thing I enjoy about. I have France. any French comrades listening. Organize the strike so they're not just const. If, so they're not just like. Oh, the trains are on strike again. The, are they? No, just like that's the reaction. You know, like yeah. organize them so it's not just oh shit, the trains are on strike again. All right, well, because yeah. that, that like, was definitely I, the reaction when I was there too. <laughs> I got there last week and like everyone was just kind of annoyed, but like the trains were starting to work again. Yeah. That's not a good organizing strategy. Nope. You gotta go, go for the gold. Yeah. So yeah, I guess that's the thing. Like, sorry for, sorry for shitting on you, French comrades. You're, you're just as much in the belly of the beast as we are. Um, mm -hmm. but like, yeah, France is a beast. Just like the United States, fuck them both. Death to France, death to America, death to Israel, death to boop, boop. death to it. All the fucking colonizer death pieces of West. shit. Yes, death to the West, death to the goddamn West. And I think that's a good note to end on. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, this has been the January Dad, our davening after dark. Thank you so much, all our, our lovely patrons. This literally would not be possible without you. Um, so, yeah, look forward to more shit like this coming your way uh, every month. And, uh, yeah, we'll we'll see you next time. Uh, yeah, we I don't know if we have too much like actually officially planned out right now, but there's there's some moves we're making coming down the pipeline. So, you know, keep your eyes peeled on the, the Twitter, or the Patreon. Um, and that's that's it, I guess. Uh, anything else yeah. to say before we sign off? I love you all. Yeah. Prez, anything? Yeah. I'm good. All right. Well, forever. Yeah, love and solidarity. Bye. 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 Um, um, which means like let's all get along and 
Um, this, there's a, a story about the tune um, that takes place um, during World War II in Poland when um, Nazi officers come to a small village and they know that um, instead of have, uh, uh, are well known to be uh, dancers and singers, so they ask everybody to come out to a field and they, uh, they, they tell them to dance. Um, and uh, everybody is very afraid, but they are very insistent that people dance. So um, they, somebody starts to sing um, like a little tune, like a, a well-known song, like let's let's all get along. Let's like let's let's move past this. Um, uh, and actually, I think it may have been the other tune for another tune that starts in that same way, but it's more popular in a religious community, but. Like you know, what would a Yiddish, what would a Jewish story be without a without a, a wrong note or a confusion? So, um, uh, so, uh, so that didn't catch on, and um, and somebody in the other part of the field starts to sing to the same to the same melody um, instead of um, instead of uh, we will outlive them. And um, that catches on like wildfire, and um, everybody starts singing and dancing until actually the Nazis understand that this is not, they're not, they're not being obeyed, and something else is going here on here, and they beg people to stop. Um, and I don't think that that story is apocryphal. Like, it's noted in several places. And so we think that this song is really powerful, and it's also, um, you know, you never know when you might be out at your next protest. So um, I was wondering if you would um, learn learn this for, this refrain with us. Um, it works. It works really well, um, especially over a chant that is probably fine, but is starting to sound uh, redundant and annoying. <laughs> <laughs> it, kind of up, it kind of breaks up the beat, and um, it kind of breaks up the beat, and it gives it a whole other cadence. So down a little bit and um, you can repeat after me um, in, in Yiddish to say um, we will outlive them to say um, Mirbelze Ibelab Ibelab Mirbelze Ibelab 